Sterling's got from the east to the west. Make you laugh your lungs out of your chest. Rolling up, cause it's time to go. And take another hit of this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Comedy Reject Podcast brought to you by TaylorMadeRadio.ca and produced by Matt Olix. Let's begin the show. First off, there is so much to talk about, so much to say, but before all that, how you guys doing, man? What's up, man? It's been a minute. I know I've been having this weird-ass schedule of you know, podcast supposed to be released on Sunday and it's not, and it's just coming out whenever now. I'm trying to lock down a schedule, people. Uh, let me explain. First off, uh, the person that produces and makes this podcast sound as professional and awesome as it does is my amazing producer, Matt Olix. Uh, and he's so damn good at his job when he offered to take on the responsibility of being the producer of this podcast, he didn't have much going on, but the quality of his work is so damn good that uh, he's getting so much job offers and a lot of work, and I'm very happy for him. Um, But because of that, it's made some difficulties uh, with the priorities of this podcast. Uh, And... um, so we decided that we're going to change the date of the release and we're trying to get it on schedule to have it come out every Thursday. All right. So uh, I don't think that this episode is going to be out on Thursday. It'll probably be out on Friday. But uh, just bear with me, my dedicated 40. Uh, yeah, no, it's not. It's not the dedicated 56 anymore. It's the dedicated 40. Uh, don't worry, the other, the other 16 will come back home eventually. But uh, bear with me uh, as we try to get shit together because uh, I didn't think when I started this podcast that it would be something that would be difficult for me to do on a regular basis. But um, a lot of things started popping up, and let me explain to you those things. So uh, last time we talked, I told you guys that my calendar had filled up. So right now... A lot of those dates got done. So uh, we did uh, the Cam Comedy Fest. I was up in Salmon Arm, Cam Loops, and Chase along the Shoe Swap doing shows. And um, your boy actually not just did the festival, but also there was a part of a documentary that will be on TELUS coming out in January. And I recorded my album. Yeah, man, I got it in the can. I uh, knocked it out. Uh, the album is recorded. It was a beautiful evening. You know, when you record an album, it's very, it's it's very scary because like every word you say, everything you do is being put down and immortalized. And, you know, on a comedy album, you can't do certain things like I can't riff with the crowd and I can't do, you know, I can't do crowd work. I can't do back and forth with people. I can't do callbacks. Callbacks means is when you uh, make a joke and then you call back to it later on in your set. You can't do those things because on a comedy album, when they play it on the radio, they don't play your entire album. They only play one track, one joke. So 
uh, thanks to uh, Ben Miner, who works for SiriusXM in Canada, he gave me some amazing pointers and tips. And uh, some of the pointers and tips was what I just said. Don't do any callbacks. Don't do any crowd work. Um, try to make it where you have to you have to understand that it's like, you know, every joke has to be able to stand on its own. And each joke has to have a certain amount of time to it when it plays on the radio. Because if you have a joke that's 45 seconds, they're never going to play that joke on the radio. So your jokes have to be between one one to three minutes per joke. And so you have to keep all that in mind when you're recording. Uh, so you're not just out there just spritzing and having fun. It has to be, this is the joke, done. This is the next joke, done. This is the segue into the next joke, and so on and so on. So it's very nerve-wracking. It's not as natural as uh, you know you would think. But it ended up turning out to be a phenomenal uh, night. And also, um, as many of you know who's been to my shows, my shows are not necessarily clean. I say whatever I feel like is on my heart, and I'm typically dirty, and I say nasty things. This album is specifically different. Uh, It's actually my corporate clean. So it's my corporate clean hour. It's the hour that I do, for people who don't understand, corporate clean is corporate is uh, when you do office parties and private events, they call that a corporate event. And in a corporate event, um, your material, you know, they pay more, but they request you to take more of your art out of it. And basically what they meet you to do is you've got to do jokes according to what they think is funny. Like they'll tell you, okay, we don't want you to do religion, race, sex, no swearing, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, they kind of give you the boundaries in which you're allowed to talk about, which sounds terrible um, because it is. I hate corporate work. Uh, Unfortunately, corporate work just happens to be 60 to 70 percent of my current income. So you better have a goddamn good hour. And uh, this is a good hour. And but the problem is that a lot of people didn't recognize or even believe that I could do a good corporate clean hour. And, you know, I was a little bit offended by that. But, I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, I do say jokes like, you know, don't eat no 2 a.m. pussy and all kinds of other terrible things. So, I mean, I understand where that concept would come from. Um, But also I was told that, you know, releasing a clean album will get more spins and more plays in America on SiriusXM because they uh, don't play dirty albums on a lot of their stations. And so... By recording a clean album, I will be able to get more uh, attention uh, nationwide. Uh, so I recorded the clean album, and it is um, done. It's called Corporate Clean. I literally called it Corporate Clean. It's kind of like a nod to uh, any real road comics, long-term comics, uh, who've had to go this route. You know what it is. You know what a Corporate Clean Hour is. And uh, to be honest, it's a good album. It's a damn good album, and I think you guys are going to love it, and I can't wait. I'm trying to get it released uh, in time for submissions to the Junos, which is November 6th. So um, I uh, recorded it. It came out great. I sent it over to uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Olix, to have it produced. And, you know, he's putting a rush on it, a special care package for me, so that I could get it released uh in time and then i decided 
that I am going to rele- uh, uh, start my own record label. So um, as of today, Sterling Records is is a record label. It's it's. I went down to the registry and I just said I'm going to start a record label. And the reason why is because one of the greatest things that I learned during COVID was value within myself. And what I mean by that is that as a comedian in the industry, everybody who is supposed to be working for you has tricked us into the idea that we need them. But the reality is that their jobs only exist if there's talent. You know, if there's no comedian, there's no manager to manage the comedian, you know. If there's no comedian, there's no agent. If there's no comedian, there's no comedy club. If there's no comedian, there's no television show. If there's no comedian, you know what I'm saying? Like everything that's happening uh, is generated from the art. But the tables have been turned on us, and now we're selling our souls to them thinking, oh, we need you in order to get on, but they need us in order to survive. And with record labels... Um, a lot of them, they will like, you know, a lot of you guys heard Prince say this. If you're a Prince fan, you know, own your masters. And uh, it never really resonated with me how powerful that was until you look into what it is to uh, release your own record and control uh, the income and flow of your album. And so, yeah, I'm releasing this album as the, you know, and uh, as, a, as a black-owned record label, and I think I'm pretty sure I'm the only black-owned comedy record label in Canada at the moment. And I hope, I truly hope that uh, I get everything in time to submit for the Junos because if I get nominated or, uh, you know, you know, God so make it happen, I win not only will I be the first black comedian in Canadian history to win a Juno, but I'll be the first black-owned record label to have a Juno-winning artist. So it's like a two-time win. And, you know, I feel like for something of that big of achievement, it's worth the risk and effort. So, um, yeah, I have my own record label now. It's called Sterling Records. Um, and as soon as Matt is finished with my uh, album, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to get it released. I've already started talking with some people uh, at Sony for distribution. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Well, uh, distribution is different from the owning of my art. Like they'd get money on uh, physical units that are being pushed out and stuff like that. But um in terms of what plays on the radio and stuff like that, that's my, I want to own 100% of my masters. And I will continue to own 100% of my masters from now on uh, because, you know, let me break it down for you guys. When you do a comedy club, the comedy club will pay you a flat rate. So say you are an opening act and the comedy club has 500 people in that club. The comedy club will probably pay you a hundred bucks. I know you guys are like, "What? That's it?" Yeah, sometimes it's even less. And now you will perform for five hundred people that paid twenty dollars a head, and then spent another twenty-five bucks each buying drinks and food. So those five hundred people have now made 
uh, $5,000 that night and you got paid $100. I would rather, as a comedian, perform for 50 people that came to see me that paid $10 than perform for 500 people for the comedy club and they don't know who the comic is. Uh, because when you do a good show at a comedy club, the comedy club gets the reputation of having good comics. But you, the comic that just gave them that great show, you walk out of there with nothing. Now, yeah, maybe you one or two people might remember you or might follow you. But the reality is the majority of the people just say the comedy club was good. You know, uh, whereas if you work on your value and yourself and you build your brand, if you could perform for a hundred people in any city across the country, well, in my definition, that's considered making it because now you have the power. Now you make the decisions because your fans come to you wherever you are. And when you have that ability, you've now broken the glass ceiling on what it is to be under the thumb of the comedy clubs and agents. So, sorry. Ah, I had to sniffle there. Don't worry. It's non-COVID. It's non-COVID. It's just a booger in my nose. But anyways, um, so that's what I mean when I say that uh, owning my master's became so much more uh, important, knowing the value of my of myself as an artist and the direction that I'm going to be going in from now on is going to be a lot of self-made things. I've even started looking into like the grants, because a lot of people, especially black people, we didn't know about grants. We didn't know that you guys give out money. Yo, did you know in Alberta, they give out a grant? Here in Edmonton, Alberta, they give out a grant for $5,000 just so that you can go to a show. Like that you could travel. So if you told them, here are my gigs, they would give you $5,000 worth of travel. Now, due to COVID right now, that, that grant is banned. But... That was a real grant that people could have. I'm a damn road comic who lives on the road. Guys, listen, when I went to the San Francisco comedy competition in 2019, I spent three weeks in America and I drove to 18 different cities in Northern California. 18 different cities and I paid for it out of my own pocket. I spent 3,500 US dollars living out of my car and hotels during that competition. And I could have gotten that entire thing paid for, but I had no clue about these things. So I um, I um, applied for these grants uh, uh, here in Alberta to allow me to go to school for, you know, sound engineering, for um, film and for editing. And hopefully I get it because if I get it, then it's another tool I could put on my belt so that I could, you know, more and more get to being able to produce and create content without needing uh, any gatekeeper to to be there to help me. Um, I even applied for business classes and courses that I'll be taking uh, at the end of this of November uh, for three months that'll you know teach you how to make business plans and all kinds of stuff because I realized that if you want something in this world, you got to take it. You can't wait on you know anybody to give you things if you are waiting on them to give you things that's like buying a lottery ticket and hoping to be get hit by lightning at the same time it's just a, it's it's possible but it's not probable 
And what's more likely to happen is that they will suck you dry of your talent because you don't realize your full potential. They will continually put you out to work and pay you pennies on the dollar uh, while maintaining their own reputation of having good quality, you know, stuff. Uh, and the, really the good quality is just you. Listen, if you're an artist and you're listening to this, don't allow yourself to be the hoe. We have been tricked, all right? All these agents, club owners, managers, TV people, producers, record labels, the whole nine of them, they're all pimps. They're all pimps, okay? Because they take your art, they take your art, your work, and then they sell it for a profit and then give you pennies back and then tell you that you should be grateful. How crazy is that? But that's what's happening. And so uh, I don't want that no more. I was looking at the James Brown documentary. Did y'all know that James Brown was so sick with it that this guy understood the level of not just owning your masters. This guy actually owned the uh, company that produced records. Like they just make records. Like that's what their company does. So he owned the, the company that pressed the records. He owned the factory that made the records and he owned the distribution label. So he literally would own his masters, the distribution, the production, everything. He owned everything from the minute he spoke into that microphone to the minute he laid in his bed, every dollar all along the way he controlled. And, you know, he really understood the value of himself. And, you know, when he th- when they say hardest working man in America, I get it because – um. You know, this guy was a, a genius. You know, James Brown was a damn genius, regardless of the fact that he talked like a crazy man. He was a genius. And looking at Prince and James Brown, you know, uh, Michael Jackson, uh, people who own things that record labels would tell your other artists not to even pay attention to, um, allowed their careers to actually uh, not just be fulfilling on the artist side but it was fulfilling on the financial side because all these record labels man i saw how they move yo so anyways if you're listening and you're an artist know the value within yourself don't be the hoe i'm telling you those 50 people you know what i'm saying my 40 listeners right now my 40 listeners you guys are worth more to me than 400 people at any comedy club and that's why I love you guys so much for the fact that you guys tune in every week or sorry, well, <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> I know it's been crazy, guys. I'm going to get back to a weekly regular schedule. Please bear with me. Please, 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 please. All right. I'm going to make it happen. So anyways, that was in uh, Kamloops. That was kind of a great time up there. It got a little wild, though. Got a little wild. I was doing a show in Chase. British Columbia, a beautiful, beautiful uh, lake town. But in these small towns, these people drink uh, a lot. And um, I was performing on stage, and I had some hecklers that were not, you know, we wouldn't shut up. And, you know, they bought me some shots and sent it to the stage. And I was like, well, if I do these shots, will you guys be quiet? 
And they said, oh, well, maybe. And so I did the shots, and they still weren't quiet. Now, while I was performing, I looked and I saw at the back of the room uh, that this bar is actually a bar and a liquor store. I know it sounds weird to uh, big city people, but in small towns, the liquor store and the bar are the same place. And in this uh, bar slash liquor store, which how they make the difference between the liquor store and the bar is literally a curtain. It's just a curtain, kind of like when you go into like a back in the days when you were going to the the store for like VHS tapes, you know what divided the porn from the regular stuff, that little curtain? That's all it was, just that little divider. And on the other side of it, I could see that they had a big bottle of 40-ounce Old English. Now, for those of you guys who don't know, that's like a hilarious callback to, you know, Boys in the Hood, 90s rap era, you know, you would drink a 40 ounce of Old English. And I was like, who the hell in Chase BC is buying 40 ounces of Old English? And, of course, the hecklers start being loud again. And I said, listen, you guys didn't agree the last time to be quiet, but if I drink the 40 ounce, will you shut up? And they were like, game on. But uh, they were quiet. But they kept sending up shots, and then so did everybody else. And I ended up drinking 16 shots of tequila and a 40 ounce of Old English. And as I was sitting on the stage, because I did it in 45 minutes, um, and I was showing them the empty bottle of the 40 ounce of English, Old English, I said, thank you, everybody. Uh, this has been a great show. That's the last thing I remember. Then I wake up in a bedroom. Apparently, I said, thank you, everybody. I'm going to do one more joke. And then I continued to perform for another fucking hour. Another goddamn hour. And apparently, I would tell a joke. Then they would laugh. Then I would say, I'm the greatest. And then I would say, I'll tell one more joke. And I kept doing that for an hour, and I was fucking embarrassed. And uh, I tell the whole story of what went down on my new album. So uh, my dedicated 40, when my new album comes out, um, go to the bonus track of Corporate Clean, and it'll tell you the story of me and Chase B.C., I don't want to spoil it for you guys because it's a funny story. But I mean, well, you pretty much know what I just told you, but there's a whole lot more antics that go along with it. So uh, make sure you guys, uh, when you get the album, because uh, I know you guys will, um, check that bonus track. It'll tell you the story. So I had the recording of the album and the comedy festival and a documentary. All right? So we did that. Then... While on the tour, I get an amazing call. Well, I told you guys this already, um, uh, that I had got the call for, like, what is, for those of you who listened last week of my dedicated 40, uh, the Winnipeg Comedy Festival uh, hit me up, and they asked me to do uh, the hosting. Now, the hosting uh, for the Winnipeg Comedy Festival is actually a, like, a pretty big honor. Like, uh, that's what they give to either 
premier comedians or celebrities to host the show. And uh, like, for example, the very first time I ever did the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, the person hosting was Canadian legend Jeremy Hotz. Uh, if you guys don't know who Jeremy Hotz is, look up the name and you'll be you'll see his face. And you go, oh, I know who that guy is. OK, that guy. But he's a phenomenal comedian. And so he was the host on my first uh, television appearance. And the second time I did uh, the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, the host of my uh, night was Chris Jericho. So, you know, uh, just to give you an example, as Canadian legend and then, you know, WWF or WCW, whatever the hell your W's are, uh, world <laughs> uh, uh, celebrity. And so now I have been gifted this honor and I'm, I'm super excited. And, you know, uh, I don't have any jokes for the topic. And the topic was about animals. And uh, I really hope I told you guys about this because if I didn't, well, fuck, here it goes. So uh, I got the call to be the host of the Winnipeg Comedy Festival on CBC television. And the topic is uh, about animals. And I don't have any jokes about animals. And he goes, well, you got three weeks to make it happen. <laughs> and I will admit that the people at the Winnipeg Comedy Festival are so amazing that they even said to me, Sterling, let's be honest. Um, we understand that if you don't have any jokes, you only have three weeks. It's not a lot of time. For anybody trying to understand, um, it, takes, uh, it takes a very long time to get material together because it's a lot of trial and error. And it typically will take months to put together a 12-minute set. You know, in fact, uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, when he was uh, on television, was talking about they're like every year he only had a new 12 minutes, you know. So every year, Jerry Seinfeld will only have 12 minutes. Louis C.K., when he was doing one hour per year, comedians were like, that's insane. That's crazy. And I have to get 12 minutes in three weeks. So uh, the pressure's on. But they were like, we'll give you a monologue and we'll write the jokes for you. Uh, but as a comedian, I'll be honest with you, Dedicated 40, I will never, ever, ever feel good or allow myself to have somebody else write for me. It's just, it's just no. I just feel like that. It, it goes against everything of the art to have somebody write my jokes. So I said, whatever, man. I, uh, I, I was locked in, and I started thinking about everything. And it's like, damn, I don't have no jokes about pets, but I used to have so many pets. Like I literally had, um, I had twelve birds of all different kinds of species. I had a pigeon. I had a I had a lovebird. I had uh, cockatiels. I had canaries. I had budgies. I had two turtles. I had um, uh, my brother had an Asian water monitor, which is the second largest lizard in the world. A chameleon that died in a month. Uh, piranhas. Uh, my sister had a dog. Um, it was like a goddamn animal farm in there. It was ridiculous. And um, so I was thinking about all these animals, and I was thinking about the story of one of the dogs that we got, which was a dog named Scott. Um, Scott got the name Scott, which is our my last name. Um, 
So what had happened was our friend, uh, family friend, couldn't have a dog in his house. And he's like, oh, I'm moving into another house. Can you guys watch the dog? Uh, which was basically his way of just, you know, pulling a fast one because he knew he was never coming back for that dog. So uh, he brought the dog over and uh, they, you know, my family started looking after it. And then, of course, what happens with everybody, they're like, "Ooh, I want to keep him. I want to keep him. And um, they ended up keeping him. And this dog hated us. This dog hated us with his whole heart and soul. And yet every day, we tried, we tried, we would, uh, you know, try to welcome him into the family, try to make him love us. And, you know, we would be like, Scott, you know, hey, how you doing? And he probably hated the fact that we called him Scott because that's not his real name. But, you know, I don't speak dog. Right. But but like he hated it. Like he would be like, Scott, we'd be like, Scott. All right. We take him out of his little cage and we try to like, you know, get him comfortable in the house. And he would walk slow and then just take off. And he would run into a bedroom and shit on the bed. And then we'd put him back in the cage. And he was like, whatever, man, I don't care. And every time we took him out, he would do the same thing again. Like, he would plan where he's going to shit. Because as soon as he came out the cage, he knew exactly which room he's going to run into. And he would do it over and over again. And then he would bite, the literally bite the hand that feeds him. He didn't care. He was a wild man. When I used to take him for walks, this is a true story. I would take him for walks. And he would try the whole time while we're going for the walks to bite the leash out of my hand and run for run away. And so one day I'm taking him for a walk and he's doing his thing. He's all up and down on the, on the leash and um, literally tying the leash around his neck to try to hang himself. He'd rather hang himself than go for a walk with me. And the police pull me over. I swear to God, the police pulled me over while walking and say, excuse me, is that your dog? Now, at the time in my head, I was like, this is a stupid question. Of course, it's my dog. But I don't realize that this dog is literally gnawing on the leash while trying to choke himself, looking at the cops like, take the shot. And um, (laughs) it was, uh, you know, a sight to see. That's the wild little dog that we had. And we had him for 17 years and he... He bit us every day, hated us every day, pissing yourself, piss on you every day. He had sex with a pit bull unconsensually or non-consensually, whatever the which way you want to say it. His dog was crazy. So I'm trying to write a bit about uh, the story of that dog um, and then just a bunch of other stuff. Uh, when I'm recording this podcast, I literally have three days left. So... I've been working on it and I'm refining it. It's almost done. It's like it's cooking. It's cooking. But here's the hard part. I've never performed it on stage. So when you don't perform any jokes on stage, it's 10 times harder um, to to anticipate what's going to happen. Because the only way I could do it is just straight through the writing. You have to, you have to, when you guys see this on TV, right, know that I wrote this in three weeks Okay, and that I never performed it on stage. All right, so if it sucks, man, that's just the bricks. But if it's great, well, fuck, I don't know how I pulled that off. But I feel like I've got something. Um, uh, like I send my drafts. Uh, you have to, so my drafts are like when you have your jokes and your ideas and your premise, you send it to the festival people so they know an idea of what you're going to talk about. 
And so I've been sending that to them and they've been writing back saying, this is phenomenal. This is great. But I mean, they're reading the words. We don't know what's going to happen when it's performed. So I'm trying my best. I took, uh, I took, uh, <laughs> I'm a Joe Rogan fan, so don't hate me. I went and I got, uh, that alpha brain, um, <laughs> The Alpha Brain, if you don't know what it is, is uh, Joe Rogan is uh, the endorser of um, a product through Onnit, which uh, it's supposed to put your brain in the waves that allow you to, you know that, you know, when you're in the mood to create, well, this Alpha Brain is supposed to help you get there. Um, So I just took two of those before I even started this podcast. So if this podcast is 10% or 20% better than the last one, it is due to my alpha brain. If it sucks 10 20% more, it's due to my alpha brain. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I took the alpha brain and uh, uh, I'm just recording this podcast. And after I'm done, I'm going right back to working on the jokes because I had the jokes, of course, for this Winnipeg Comedy Festival. But I also had to do another six minute set for CBC Debaters. And um, I finished the CBC Debaters one and submitted that. That one's done. Um, But I'm still working on this one, which is the performance is this Saturday. Friday. The performance is this Friday. So Friday I will be filming. And uh, it won't come out until I think think you'll see it in May. March or April or May is when it comes on television. of course, my dedicated forty. I'll, 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 uh, I'll remind you guys. Of course, it'll be fun to watch though because you guys are hearing me talk about it right now, as I'm panicking and scared for my life. Uh, and then you're gonna watch me on television, and because it, it's happening, uh, like they're sending a limo to pick me up <laughs> on Thursday, uh, which is kind of cool. I've never had that happen before. I'm getting a limo sent to my house to pick me up to take me to the airport another limo to pick me up at the airport to take me to the hotel. They're bringing me in a day early so that I could rest. Um, and then they're going to, you know, then they, they you have handlers, people that take care of you and bring you around. Um, and so, yeah, um, I'm scared, people. I'm not going to lie. I'm scared. I'm nervous. This is, uh, this isn't easy. It's not easy. Uh, I'm excited. I'm honored. But I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm very scared. Uh, I've never uh, done anything in this situation before where you're doing a brand new 12 minutes that's never been rehearsed on national television. So the very first time that I tell these jokes will be in front of a recording. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how it goes. You know what I mean? If you want to become great, you got to do great things. So uh, wish me luck on that. And then, uh, yeah, the, week, the the very next week, I'll be doing the CBC Debaters. And so, you know, listen for that one. And we'll see how that goes. But um, I uh, I have high hopes. I have high hopes. But at the same time, I uh, am very realistic <laughs> with what it means to be a stand-up comedian. And anything can happen with stand-up comedy. That's why I love it. Because of the simple fact that anything can happen on any given night. I mean, if it worked every single night, it would suck. Because it's like, oh, you know. Of course, you you can't really appreciate it if every single night they always laugh. Now, 
uh, at the same time, it's also the 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 big fear because the risk of bombing it hurts. Bombing hurts. Bombing feels like um, like getting your heart broken. That's the only way I could equate it. You know, like when you were in love with somebody and um, they broke up with you and you kind of were blindsided, like you didn't even see it coming. That pain, that knot in your stomach. You know, you ever cry in the shower? You ever cry in the shower? Well, I have. Comedy has made me cry in the shower as a grown fucking man. That's how much bombing hurts. And uh, it's a good thing, though, because if you're not bombing, that means you're not taking any risks and you're not growing. You're not taking any chances. You're not trying to, you know, come outside of your own comfort zone. And uh, I'm outside of my comfort zone like a motherfucker right now. I have to write a 12-minute clean set that's never been done on stage before and have it prepared for national television in three days. (laughs) Ah, They sent me a wardrobe request, and I swear to God, I'm thinking about wearing a suit with no shirt underneath. I know it sounds douchebaggy, but I'm just like, fuck it. If they're not going to like me, they're going to remember me. And uh, (laughs) I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring my suit. I have a black. It's a beautiful suit, by the way. And I lost a lot of weight. Like I told you guys, I lost a lot of weight during COVID. I lost 35 pounds. I weigh 165 pounds right now. So I'm not in bad shape. Um, But I'm really thinking to wear a suit, like a suit jacket with no shirt underneath. And just perform that way with my chest out and my suit on. I think it looks sexy as fuck, to be honest. To be honest, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it and just, I'm just going to Bill Murray it. I'm just going to do it with a straight face and just, you know, they'll be like, because they won't know how to handle it. They'll be like, uh, so you're just going to um, wear this? Yeah, that's my option. This is my number one option. And then just stick with it. And I'm going to make them tell me no. I'm going to make them be the ones to say, Sterling, you can't do that. <laughs> but I'm not going to go in like asking. Like they get, they, they, So basically how it goes for television is they'll tell you, you provide your own wardrobe because it's Canadian television, of course. And um, they say to you, uh, bring three options. So you have your main option and your main option, you just show up on stage with it at the, at the rehearsal. And they check the cameras, lights, and everything to make sure that they can, you know, choose the background so that the background doesn't contrast with your outfit and whatever. And if everything works and all their colors work, they just let it go. Um, So I'm going to come out on stage in the rehearsal with my suit jacket on with no shirt. And uh, I'm going to see what they do. I'm going to see what happens, people. (laughs) I'm going for it, baby. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I don't give a shit. It's about time I do something crazy. Um, but yeah, man. So people, uh, hopefully this uh, episode gets to you while I'm recording uh, on television. I hope it gets out to you by Thursday, Friday at the latest. I hope this is when you guys are listening to it. Um, if not, like I said, guys, bear with me. Um I'm trying to make it be where every Thursday, all right? I'm trying to be dedicated to every Thursday that the podcast can be released. I'll record them on like Sunday or Sunday and Monday. I'll record them and then I'll have them released on Thursday. And then that way um, you guys can, 
you know what I'm saying, have like a regularly scheduled program of knowing when my episode comes out and when to download it and some consistency. You know what I mean? Let's have some structure and consistency with this fucking podcast, Sterling. God damn it. Remember when I told you guys I was going to do like live recordings? I built a whole fucking studio in my house and I've never used it. That's the kind of human I am, people. I've legit built an entire studio that I said I was going to do a video podcast and I never did it. And then I also started the cartoon and then I stopped doing it because of all these other writing gigs that came up. But um, I'm going to get back on track. It's just that all these things, the month of October was a blessing, but it was uh, too many blessings at once because not too many. Let me not, let me not you know, ruin my own, my own blessings. I'm thankful, but it was kind of like out the blue where it's like you have nothing and then all of a sudden it's like, Yo, you got national radio, national television, comedy festival, and a televised documentary, and an album recording. I did all of that in one month, and the month's not even out yet. We're on the 20th day of this month, and I've recorded an album. I've been, on, I've, I've, I've been a part of um, a, a comedy festival. I've done a comedy festival televised documentary that'll be out on Shaw Cable, so nobody's going to watch it. Um, I've started a record label. I've, uh, written a brand new, uh, set for, uh, national CBC radio. And I'm working on a net, a new, a new set for national television. And I've been doing that for the last 20 days. So that's why, uh, you know, a lot of the podcast has been all over the place and my memory of what's going on is not always there because like I said, guys, I am a terrible employee. Uh, <laughs> I'm a great boss. I'm self-employed. So I'm a great boss and a terrible employee. Um, but I'm trying my best. And I'm working my tailbone off. And oh my God. Look at that. I've been talking about all that stuff. I'm not even telling you guys about the show that just happened. So I don't know if any of the dedicated 40 was in the audience. But um, October 17th, we, uh, me and the legend arlo maverick and uzi la those are phenomenal artists out of edmonton alberta if you guys are not from edmonton alberta look up uzi la o-o-z-e-l-a and arlo maverick um from politic live uh and we did a uh called the audio the sound audio what was it sound audio therapy (laughs) uh festival and basically what it was was half comedy and then uh, half musical performances. Socially distant. Everybody was socially distant. I made sure it was an RSVP only event. And it was like honestly one of the top five shows I've ever produced as an artist in terms of the vibe, the energy. Like the, one of the best compliments I ever heard was, I can't believe you only charge us $20 for this show. Like, this show was just so amazing. We should have paid way more money for this. And it made my heart swell because I'm not a man who cares about the money as much as I care about the art. Like, that compliment right there meant everything to me. Um, so if you're my dedicated 40 and you live in Edmonton, um, email Sterling's Contact Info. That's again, Sterling's Contact Info at gmail.com 
sterlingscontactinfo at gmail.com. One of the comedians had an amazing joke about it. He's like, Sterling is the first uh, comedian who has a burner email account. I've never seen that before. A burner email account for underground shows? That's hilarious. But um, the reason why I got to do it this way is because if you've ever been to my events, you'll understand I can't um, promote these events publicly all the time. And they're really fun events, though. But they're socially distant and everything was safe. You know what I mean? Everybody had to wear masks. Everybody had to have sanitize their hand. Everybody had to sit within their groups. You weren't allowed to walk around. And you know what I'm saying? You can't mingle. And uh, everybody was socially distant and safe. I'm doing everything I can to make sure. We only operated at 30% capacity just to be on the safe side. Uh, but the night was amazing. Uh, the highlight of the night is... Uh, Arlo Maverick has a song called Too Many Twos, and uh, it's off of uh, his, um, not his latest album, but one of his albums called Maybe Tomorrow. And uh, in the audience is uh, was an artist by the name of K. Riz, and he uh, is the one that sings the chorus to this song, unbeknownst to him that uh, Arlo was going to perform this song. And Arlo just put the beat on, and it's a full band, you know what I'm saying, which is crazy. It's not like they're just playing music. It's an actual band. I mean, a drummer, a guitar, piano, the whole nine. We had the whole nine people. You got to come check these shows. And so um, Arlo has the band playing the song, and he looks into the crowd, and he goes, will you come sing with me? And K. Riz was like, I've been smoking. I can't. I don't. No, no, no. And the crowd chairs. He gets up and absolutely annihilates, absolutely annihilates uh, the performance. And the crowd literally, you know what I mean? Everybody's sitting in their little six-foot circles, gets up, and we're just like, wow, what are we watching right now? And it was just one of those magical moments that you just had to be there to see. And uh, I'm looking forward. There's going to be another one in November. Now my my dedicated forty, I um, I got to tell you guys, I can't divulge the information on the podcast. You gotta do the email. Hit me up, sterlingscontactinfo at gmail dot com, and um, I'll give you all that info uh, for the November shows. Um, but uh, I want to thank everybody that made it out that night. I don't know if any of my dedicated forty was in there, um, but I, if you guys were, thank you so much, and I love you guys. Uh, hey, yeah, man. I just want to thank you guys so much. Like I said, yeah, you guys. I I know I laugh and joke and tease about. I mean, how many people <laughs> have forty people listening to their podcast and they give a fuck? I do. You guys mean everything to me, and the fact that you guys uh, rock with me every week means everything. So, uh, like I say, man, I'm trying my best. Things got wild with scheduling all of a sudden my november's dead empty um i'm going to get this shit on the rails okay so bear with me and uh keep listening keep fucking with me because big things are happening and i promise you guys we're gonna see a great year you know it's gonna be a great year it's gonna big things are gonna happen man i just i just feel it man just stick with me all right This has been another episode of the Comedy Reject Podcast. 
My name is Sterling Scott. I'll see you guys very soon. Love you. I'm out of here.